We're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going through the Lord's Prayer. And this is why we're going through the Lord's Prayer. Um, As I shared last time we were together, this is a time in human history when people have really mixed sentiments about children. On the one hand, there's lots of like wanting to educate the children and wanting to protect the children, wanting to provide the children. On the other hand, there are most places in the world you can kill babies in the womb without any consequences whatsoever, except maybe getting a presidential hopeful to give you a thumbs up, which is kind of crazy. And so in this mixed motive universe where we can't figure out if children are the image of God or if children are kind of an uh, expensive accessory that you add onto your life when you are feeling kind of emptiness sometimes, or if they're just annoying, or if you're pinning all your hopes and dreams on your children, fulfilling all of your hopes and dreams so that they can be the kind of person you didn't end up being. In this totally crazy world thinking about children, I'm convinced that the church should be the place on earth where people most care about kids. In our minds, in our hearts, and in our actions. If anywhere on this planet there should be people that just value children and love them, snot noses and dirty diapers and meltdowns at the mall and all, it should be the Christians, it should be the church. And so what I'm doing is I'm taking us through the Lord's Prayer because I'm on a mission. I don't want anybody to try to care for children in any kind of way except in ways that God the Father has cared for them first. That's my mission. I don't want you to try to love a child in any way except the ways that you have been loved by God. Amen? Does that make sense? So that's why I'm calling this hand-me-down child care. I want us to care for children the same way that God has cared for us. We're not on our own. We're not making this up as we go. We are called to be cared for by God, loved by God, provided for by God, led by God, protected by God, and then hand on what we have been given from God to the little people around us, whether they're our own little people or whether somebody else's little people, their children's ministry little people, school little people, people who come to the store you work at little people. And I'm clumping in little people um, and children and kids. I'm trying to be very inclusive. So um, what's a little bit more socially acceptable way to include teenagers? Last time I talked about smoking and I got myself in some trouble there. Um, if you can't vote, there's a safe one. If you can't vote, I'm clumping you in with this. Another way of putting it, if, if you didn't pay for all the food that you ate this week out of your own pocket, I'm clumping you in with this. If somebody else is going to be paying the heating bill this winter when you're in a house staying warm so you don't die. Like we could literally die any day during a Manitoba winter. Have you thought about that? That's crazy. Sure, we don't get massive hurricanes. Yes, we get to dodge the earthquakes. But every day between December and March 31st, you could die if you leave the house or if the furnace breaks down. That's So respect to the Mennonites who came out here in the first place. So this is my big idea. God the Father loves us in Jesus Christ. And let's share that with other people. That's the big idea. So let's read the Lord's Prayer together. You can either just read this, or you can listen to me read it, or you can join me in saying this out loud. All right? One, two, three. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, I thank you so much for this time, and I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. You are the best. You're the best being. You're the best person. You are the best. It is totally worth losing everything to have you, Father. You are wonderful. And I'm so grateful that you sent Jesus to come and rescue us, to die for my sin and our sins so that there would be no guilt or no shame or no fear to keep us away from you. But you welcome us with totally open arms through your Son. And you've given us your Spirit, your own love, your own joy, your own life living inside of you, sent to live in us and to shout from the inside out, Abba, Father, towards you. You put the Spirit in our hearts, the Spirit of adoption, so that we would shout, you're my dad, to you. God, you're amazing. You're the best, and I love you, and I pray that you would help each one of us here 
God, that you would make your kingdom come upon us, Lord, with freedom and truth and overcoming soul barriers and mind barriers against knowing you so that we could live and walk and sleep and eat in the truth of who you are. And then to hand on the love that you've given us, especially to the younger people in our lives. In Jesus' mighty, awesome, powerful, good, and glorious name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So when I read this, this, uh, the Lord's Prayer, we call it, this is how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And if you read Luke, which I checked and I made sure this is true, when you read Luke, um, Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray because they see him praying. So Jesus has this long prayer time, and they're overhearing it, and they're seeing what's going on. And when Jesus comes back, they say to him, would you teach us to pray the same way you pray? Because you're doing something different than we are. And how I perceive what's going on is that Jesus sees in them, this is an opportunity for me to teach them how to relate to my Father. It's not just say these words, they're super magical, they're extra powerful, and you don't, you don't need a stick, but you can be like a wizard, you say these words and get whatever you want, just like Harry Potter. That's not what's going on here. This is a lesson in how to be a child of God in this world. This is exactly what it is. Jesus is teaching them, this is how you get fathered by the Father. And that's why the prayer starts, Our Father. This is a lesson in how to be a child of God. And then I want to take this lesson and hand off what we've learned here to the little people in our lives. And he starts by saying, when you pray, start off by saying, you're my dad. Say, our Father. Start there with the relationship. And pray that God would hallow his name. Pray that he would make you experience that he is God, that you would experience his holiness. And the next thing he teaches us to do is to pray that God's kingdom would come. This is like when you're in the army and you're trapped behind enemy lines and you're surrounded by enemy soldiers and you get on the old bullhorn and you're like, send in the Marines! That is what is going on here. Um, I don't know if anybody did this, but when I was a kid, people would talk about boys, or maybe girls too, but boys having this argument where they would say to each other, my dad could beat up your dad. Did you ever, did anybody do this? I never said that. My dad was an accountant. He was pretty big and he knew karate, so maybe he'd hold his own, but after, you know, 30 years of desk work, I'm, you know, he's a little bit out of shape, but um, my dad could beat up your dad. There's something about that. And if I, my kids ever went around saying that to other people's kids, um, I would have to invest heavily in blow darts, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> or bow and arrows, or something, something with a paralyzing tip that I could just from far away while I'm running. You know what I mean? Um, but this is what Jesus is teaching us to think. In every situation of life, no matter what it is, my dad could beat up your dad. You may have saw, seen me freaking out a little bit at the front when Ken came to share that scripture. Um, because in the first service, another guy, Larry, got up and read that same ser- scripture passage. And, but I don't think they got to verse 3, either one of them, um, where Moses says about God after he's destroyed Egypt and Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea, Moses says this, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. The Lord is a fighter. He is a man of war. At Gibor Milchama, if I, my Hebrew is right, he is a man of war. He is a fighter. He knows how to put on his armor. He knows how to lead people into battle. And he knows how to win. And this is what Moses is celebrating at this moment as the greatest superpower. Egypt was the greatest power on the planet. Their elite soldiers are worm food. And Moses is singing about it. The Lord is a man of war. And if you think, well, you know, I'm a bit of a pacifist, Mennonite background, you know, that kind of stuff. Sorry, you were already doing that. We were singing today. We were singing, every knee will bow before him. Those are fighting words. Just, hey world, just so you know, you know, North Korea, the States, nukes, whatever. doesn't matter. Every knee is going to bow before the Lion of Judah. He is coming with power, and everyone is going to be defeated by him because my dad can beat up your dad. Done. Over. Finished. Accomplished. The Lord is a man of war. He knows how to fight. And so what Jesus is teaching us to think here, and I'm 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 not saying that this is going to be like, 
um, UFC time after the service. So don't, don't let your adrenaline get ahead of you on this one or your testosterone either. But what I am seeing Jesus teach us how to do is he's saying, if you're a child of God and you are, know this, the Father loves you and he wants to fight for you. Know this. This is the truth. God loves you, and that doesn't just mean he wants to give you the warm fuzzies, though he is totally able to do that. He is your dad, and he's going to fight for you. That's the truth that's coming out of this. And so Jesus teaches us to pray, Our Father's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. You invade. Whenever you have one kingdom coming into another kingdom, that's called an invasion. And it's a battle, and it's a fight, and there's going to be a winner, and there's going to be a loser. And what Jesus is saying is, call on your Father to invade your situation. And while you're doing that, remember that this is about His will coming and being done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, We live in between the times, okay? So when God first created everything, everything's perfect, everything's fine, everything's good, then the tree of the knowledge of good and evil incidents happened and everything got wrecked everything got broken a little bit all of humanity all of human history got really bent and broken and the world got filled up with all kinds of stuff that doesn't please the lord amen and when jesus comes back it's going to be done he's going to finish that off there's this lake of fire whatever that means whether it's just a picture in revelation or if there is some lava hot tub um, prepared somewhere for sin and the devil and and evil. It's all going to be done, all punished, all locked up, chained up, cannot touch God's good creation anymore. And when that happens, God's perfect plan for the world will be accomplished, and it will be impossible anymore for anything evil or bad or displeasing for God to ever happen. But in the meantime, we exist in a time where God is in control and God is ruling, but many things happen that aren't pleasing to him. Amen? Have you noticed that? Is this news to you? I hope not. Well, actually, maybe that wouldn't be the worst. You're like, what bad things happen? I'd be like, where do you live? We live in the in-between times where God has not completed conquering the world yet and making everything just the way he wants it. Pure love, pure joy, pure peace, pure goodness, pure wonderfulness, seeing the glory of Jesus without any barrier, all of God's glory perfectly visible in a way that won't destroy us because we'll have these resurrected bodies. That is coming, but in the meantime, it's war. And what Jesus is saying is, your dad is a fighter, get him involved in your battles. Amen? Does that make sense? Am I I messing this up? Your kingdom come? God, in heaven, you rule completely and you have all power and authority. Now come on down and be yourself here and do what you want to do here because we need you. That's the scenario. That's what I see going on here. And the amazing thing is, is that God teaches us to pray this, okay? So this is not heavenly arm bending. It's not like you have to climb up to heaven and be like, I've done all these good things and start twisting his arm. And he's like, I'm God, you can't twist my arm, but maybe I'll let you pretend, you know, when you wrestle with your kids sometimes, you're like, oh, 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 it hurts. Stop, stop, you're winning. Um, It's not like you have to wrestle God for this. He teaches us to call on his name, to invite him to come and change things. That's our, that's our job as children. As children. That's our job as children. To know God, to love Him, to worship Him, and say, it's a mess down here. Invade! So there's three ways that I can see where God invades, and what he, when He comes, what, what does it mean for His kingdom to come? How does He change things? That's the question. When his, what's His kingdom look like when it comes down to earth? Does that make sense? That's the answer. Um, question I'm trying to answer. If I call on him to invade, what might it look like? There's a kind of person who, uh, when, we're, when they're dealing with God, they always have that question, well, uh, what's this going to look like? They just want to know, how's this going to turn out before I say yes? What's the fine print on this? Um, did you know you can't do that with the Lord? You can't get him to tell you what it's going to turn out like and before you decide to submit and surrender to him. You just can't. The answer is, yes, I trust you, or something else. And he's your dad, and he loves you, so say yes. What does it look like when God sends his kingdom? Well, God is the creator of the universe, 
and he likes to put things together in a way so that they function with order. So I'm going to use the word order quite a bit. Don't get intimidated. Don't get panicky. I'm going to use the word order quite a bit. When God created the universe, Genesis 1, the Bible pictures it to us as God coming and ordering a big mess. Uh, the Bible talks about the world as being tohu wabohu. You want to learn some Hebrew, everybody? Okay, say tohu wabohu. Very good. Tofu adogu. No, no, no. <laughs> tohu wabohu. It means formless and empty. It, it's it's a, a phrase that just means it's a complete mess. And so if you see pictures of Puerto Rico right now where a hurricanes come through and just, it's a mess and we need to pray for them, that tohu wabohu is just a complete and utter lifeless mess. And the Bible describes the universe like that. Not, not nothingness, a mess. And when God shows up, he says, well, I'm going to clean this thing up. I'm going to make this just right for life. We need some light. This darkness thing's no good. Sorry, goth people. This darkness thing's no good. You need light. Light's the way to go. Light's wonderful. Um, and then we're going to make some separations. Water up here, water down there. And then we're going to make some dry land up here. And the water goes over here and the dry land goes here because my image bearers are going to have legs and not fins and gills. And so they need something to stand on when they're farming or whatever people do. And they need some dry land. And once he's made the dry land and put the water where he wants it and the air where he wants, he starts filling things up. So stars in the sky, birds in the air, beasts in the fields, fish in the water. And then wonder of wonders, an image bearer uniquely created to love, know, and be like God, boom, you, that's you and me. But it's lots of order, right? Water goes here, land goes here, lights up there, not lights down there, room in between, order, 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 order. And so when we call on God, he comes to bring order. And one of the things he does is he recreates things. He makes things the way they were supposed to be. So when Jesus was on the earth, um, he would often put things back to where they should have been. Amen? So he sees this guy getting lowered down through the roof who's a paraplegic. So his legs and his arms or just his legs aren't working. He's not functioning like a physical person should. And Jesus says, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to put it the way it's supposed to be. I'm going to reorder this. And so, and all of a sudden the guy's running around and doing a jig and making me look like I'm standing still, which you would if all of a sudden you could move after years of not being able to move. He sees a blind person. He's like, well, I'm going to make those eyes work again because God created those eyes to help you see and they're not working properly and I'm going to fix it. I'm going to put things back to the way they're supposed to be. And much of Jesus's ministry was putting creation back in order. Amen? So when we call on the king of kings to come and invade with his kingdom, part of that will be him putting creation back in order. So we pray for people to get healed, and sometimes they do. Um, it also, this involves him providing for us. So he, the way he made us, he knew we were going to need shelter. He knew we were going to need to drink stuff. He knew we were going to need food, and that was a part of his good order. And so when we don't have those things, we can call on the king of kings to come and provide for us, because that's the way it's supposed to be. Amen? So it's like, ah, I don't have any checks in my cupboard anymore. And checks was the last thing I had in my cupboard. Let your kingdom come, this kingdom of providing food for your creatures, because that's what the king does. He provides food for his creatures, and we pray for provision. And when the kingdom comes, there is provision. Does anybody remember the story of the feeding of the 5,000? Right? So they're out in a desert. Were there deserts in the original creation? No, I don't think so. I don't think there was vast expanses of lifelessness in the original creation. But here, here's the king of the kingdom out in the desert with all these disciples, and they have no food. He says, you know, what do you have? And some kid has his leftover sandwich from lunch that he didn't eat because it had bologna in it or whatever, and, uh, and some fish too, and everybody's fed because in God's good creation, people get fed. Well, so he brings order to the creation when we pray. And we can pray for that. God, I need a healing. God, I need provision. God, I need transportation somewhere. God, I need a job. All these things. These are the king coming to make the world the way it's supposed to be in the midst of all the mess of a broken world. The other thing God does is he comes to bring moral order. Okay, don't let me lose you there. This is where, where God comes to deal with the fact that people have broken hearts and broken thoughts and sinful hearts and sinful thoughts and we do crazy things and without God intervening, things just do go from bad to worse and then worser and then worser and then worser and then blah, blah, blah. And so if God doesn't show up to restrain human sin and to bring justice for the oppressed and to rescue people by grace, we're just gone. 
So when the king of kings shows up, he comes to bring moral order. Okay, so sometimes he comes with a judgment like the flood. Often he comes for grace and he sends preachers into the world so people go out and share the gospel with people so that people who are sinners and lost and God is not their dad can hear the truth that today, by putting your trust in Jesus Christ and believing that he's raised from the dead, you can become a child of God and be forgiven of all of your sins instead of punished for all of your sins and you can spend the rest of this life learning about who God is and serving Him and growing to become more like Him and then spend the rest of eternity with Him. And that is God being the king over this world and restoring moral order when He sends out people with that message. By the way, if that's you, I just said that for you. If, you're, if your soul is messed up, The king comes with his kingdom to set things right. The first thing that's wrong with your life, says Jesus, is that God is not your dad. We're going to start there and fix that. And then out of that, we're going to start working on other stuff. But this is the king's kingdom come. He's come to invade and conquer our unbelief and our rebellion. And through doing that, we become his children and he starts to order our souls again. Amen? He does that. That's part of it. So when you're struggling, I'm still angry or I'm still worried or still frightened or I'm still offended, you can say, God, send your kingdom on me. Your will is that I would be free of this stuff, free of my hurts, free of my pains, so that I can worship you freely and serve you joyfully and be effective in this life. Send your kingdom on me. Rescue me from this stuff. Or you see other things happening in other places. The world's looking like they're going to fire nukes at each other. And we can say, God, this looks all like a bunch of posturing sin to me. Send your kingdom on this stuff. Make your will be done on this stuff. We don't actually need bombs going off right now. The world is messed up enough without more radiation in the air and cities that have been turned into ash. We need your kingdom to come. So rule over this stuff and be God. Because you're my dad and you listen. Now on top of all these things, God restoring creation, God setting hearts and souls right by being a moral the moral king, the king of morality, he also is working out his eternal plan. His eternal plan to unite a rescued and redeemed people in Jesus Christ in a new heavens and a new earth. And he's been working on this plan for a long, long time. But this plan that God has for human history, um, only he knows all the details of it. Only he knows all the details of it. And so he works out the answer to our prayers according to his wisdom and his eternal plan. What do I mean by that? Well, there's this great scene in Revelation chapter 5 where John the Apostle is in a vision, physically, who knows, but I think a vision. He's up in heaven and he sees the Ancient of Days on the throne and all the elders and are around there casting down their crowns and the living creatures are saying, holy, 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 and they're worshiping him and John's just stunned. And there's, in this scene, there's this scroll with seven seals on it, which is a picture of God's plan for the universe, his will for human history. And John begins to cry because it's obvious that there isn't anybody worthy to accomplish God's will in the world. And he just starts to weep, like what God wants to do in the world to glorify his name and rescue a redeemed people and restore the creation to the way it was supposed to be and bring about this awesome scene where the church, like a bride, is going to descend down to heaven and the new heavens and the new earth and and God is going to be the center of this new city and, and everything's going to be made right. This will that God has to accomplish is impossible. And he just weeps. He just weeps until an angel says to him, cry no more because the lion of the tribe of Judah has overcome. And Jesus takes the scroll and he begins to break the seals of the will of God and accomplishing God's eternal purposes in human history. Because the, the truth is, is that God's big plan purposes aren't just that we would feel better and get better. He is accomplishing things in his world to glorify his son and his name. And sometimes, I need to point this out, sometimes God's eternal purposes are more important than writing the creation. And sometimes God's eternal purposes are more important than him punishing sin or setting people free from sin in that moment. You say, ah, what are you talking about? Let me talk about the cross for a little bit. 
Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the night before he's about to be crucified, and he is um, in soul anguish. Luke says that his, the intensity of his anguish as he's anticipating being killed is so intense that his skin is actually, the blood vessels are breaking, and sweat as blood is coming out of him. So sweat mixed with blood is coming out of his skin because the turmoil in his soul is so intense, it's, his body is breaking down. And he prays and he says, God, all things are possible with you. So he's admitting, God, you're in complete control. You're my warrior father. Nothing can stop you. He says, let this cup pass for me. So he says, I'm not excited about the cross. This is, this is, this is going to be terrible. But he says, not my will, but your will be done. Amen. Do you remember that? He says, not my will. So this is so similar to the prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He says, you're my warrior God. You can do anything any way you want to. But not my will, but your will be done. And so we know that everything that happened after this is the will of the Father. Because Jesus, who always gets his prayers answered, you better believe that, said, I don't want to go through this, but I want your will more than my will. So everything that happened after this is the will of the Father. And Jesus wants to make the point even more when he's getting arrested. So here are all the guards. They've come out. It's the middle of the night. They're a bunch of thugs with torches. And there's Judas leading the charge. And he says, the guy that I kiss, he's the one. Grab him. And he goes up there and he says, Master. And he kisses Jesus. And then they jump on him. And the disciples start to fight. And some of the guy's ear gets cut off. And then they're tussling. And Jesus stops it. And one of the things he says in that scene is he says, Don't you know? that if I asked my dad, he would at once send a legion of angels to rescue me. To me, that's amazing. He's saying, look, these guys are going to, they're arresting me. All my disciples who said they're going to protect me are gone. Judas, Judas, who's one of my best friends who I've loved for years, is handing me over to die. In the midst of all this stuff, he says, you want to know who's in control? Me still. Because if if I just said, dad, would you save me? every angel in heaven would come down and just start killing people. Unstoppable heavenly force, just body parts flying. It'd be like if a tornado went through a mannequin factory. Just... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry for that. That's how I picture it, though. Like... But just think, if you're an angel and you have seen the glory of Jesus for millennia, and he says, would you come and help me out here? Nothing could stop you from rescuing your Lord. If you're an angel and you have unstoppable power, which is true. I mean, way back in the Old Testament times, Hezekiah is besieged by the Assyrians and God says, I'm going to rescue you. And he sent one angel and that one angel killed that entire army. One. He says, I got 10,000 at my back and call anytime I need them, but I choose not to because I'm submitting to the will of God. So why do we have to talk like this? We have to talk like this because maturity knows that sometimes God's eternal purposes are more important than the created order getting set straight in our lives right away, more important than, more important than us getting healed, more important than us having the cash now. Sometimes even God's eternal purposes are more important than us getting free from something that's bugging us right now or getting free from a sin immediately. Sometimes God's eternal purposes trump everything because in the life of Jesus... He was going to go and get slaughtered and killed, which was not the purpose of God for the human body, to get tortured and then hung till dead. That's not like day six. He's like, well, here's man and man and wife, and let's have a crucifixion over here because this is part of my will for mankind. Let's just have some guy in agony. That's not his will. But he superseded his desire for a perfect creation in order to accomplish the cross. And the same way to have people wrongfully arrest, wrongfully accuse, wrongfully judge, and wrongfully kill Jesus was just the moral travesty of all time. It was the greatest sin ever, the death of Jesus. And God absolutely willed it so that he could accomplish his purposes of having Jesus die for sin and rise from the grave again. So we need to know this, that sometimes God's eternal purposes trump the moral order and trump the created order, or maybe a better way of saying it, it, it swallows up the, the mess in both of those disorders in order to accomplish good things. 
And we need to learn this because I think very many North Americans in particular can often feel like if my life isn't going great or my soul isn't going great, God must not love me. Amen? Have you ever been there before? It's really common. I'm still in anguish over this sin. God must not love me. Um, I'm still broke. God must not love me. I got prayed for healing for my arm and it's not better yet. God must not love me. And the truth is, is that God works us into maturity by being slower to respond to some of those earthlier prayers sometimes. Let me give you an example. When you got a new little baby, if you ever do, or maybe you see one, maybe you're just watching young parents laughing, whatever. When you see little babies, if that little baby like is sat up and then falls over, what happens? It's like, oh, my boobie, oh, my boopsie, my boo, you fell over, boopsie, poor boopsie. And you listen like panic and tears, and they bump their head. Bah, it's terrible, you're hurt, and I'm the worst parent ever. Bah. When kids are really young, they fall over, they hurt themselves, it's panic mode, right? But then they get a little bit older, and they're running around, and they fall down, and, 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 and the parents just kind of wait. They just wait to see if the uh, air raid siren goes off. You know what I mean? You guys know what I'm talking about? If it's not like where they have to have that big inhalation first so they can really get their lungs working. <gasps> you know, if you don't hear that air raid siren, you're just like, oh, they're probably fine. You okay? You okay, buddy? Yeah, you're okay. Okay, go have fun. Then they get a little bit older, and then the kids fall down, and, and you're like, dude, those are your Sunday jeans. Stop falling down. You're, gonna skin, you're not going to be able to use them for church. You're not going to be using them for school. Stop wrecking your clothes. Then they get a little bit older, and they fall down, and you're like, <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I know I look like it hurt, but that was so funny. You should have seen your face. I'm glad it's filming that. That's going to be on my YouTube channel, Facebook, and everything else by the time you're stopping crying. So, and then they get a little bit older, and they fall down, and then you say to them, Rob, you're 37 and leading a church. Stop acting like an idiot. So same person falling down, but the reaction changes because of maturing, right? Well, often when you're a young believer, God is just all over you with miracles. You need to get off of this, boom, you're free. You, you know, people say, I came to the Lord and I never wanted another drop of alcohol ever again. And God just, boom, moves in. You know, I needed this thing and $1,000 of cash appeared in my trunk. <laughs> I was like, how does that happen? Probably the proceeds of crime, but run with it. You know what I mean? So these, these things, God's just all over you. Miracles, miracles. And you just, you just feel like, I can't turn around without seeing God do something. Because he's encouraging you. He's letting you know he's your dad and he's with you. But as you get a bit older, the, um, the, the immediacy of stuff stops coming so fast. Because God doesn't want to just provide for you. He actually wants to work on your heart. He actually wants you to convince, to convince you that he knows you and loves you and walks with you. So things get a bit slower and you start getting more frustrated. Like, man, why am I still dealing with this stuff? Don't you care? And it's like the answer is yes, but we need to work on the fact that you think I don't care every time you don't get what you want right away. And what he's working on is to bring us to the place where nothing can change when we pray except that God will come and we'll experience his glory and love him in the midst of the junk. Because God loves a person who will say, not my will be done, but your will be done. I will go to this cross for other people's sake. That's often the progression. First, God's convincing us he's real and he loves me. And then it's like, he needs to work on my stuff because I got soul junk. And so that's where life gets a bit harder so that he can work on our stuff. So, okay, so I'm not getting miraculously healed. What's coming out of my heart? Oh, the money isn't showing up super quick. What's coming out of my heart? That's what God's after, because he wants to father us and love us right there. That's where he wants his kingdom to come. And then you get a bit old, and you're like, ah, and I've learned my lessons. Now the miracles are going to start flowing in. And he says, no, no, no. Now, now I'm actually going to make you useful to other people. I'm going to let you suffer so that you can love the suffering. I'm going to let you go through hard stuff so that you can preach the gospel to people who've gone through hard stuff. And somebody said to me once, um, I don't actually want to help other people that much to keep going through this. And it's like, yeah, I, I get that feeling. But when God is done, you'll be way more useful. He's got an eternal purpose for salvation to come through you to other people. And that's why sometimes it takes so long for things to change. Because we've got to learn how to worship him now. Um, some people say, I don't, I don't really want that. And here's one example of God doing that kind of thing where he... 
He doesn't heal by miracle. He actually does something unpleasant for the sake of someone's soul. I was reading um, Jacob and the story of him wrestling with God the other day. You may remember Jacob is, I think he's Abraham's grandson or, yeah, that makes sense. And he's been on a long journey and he had to flee home because he stole his twin brother's blessing and his twin brother's like, as soon as my dad's dead, I'm going to murder this guy. And it turned out that Esau was actually like a warlord with 400 soldiers. So he's actually capable of doing that. You know, if I'm like, I'm going to murder somebody, you're like, you can hardly hurt anybody. You're just, you know, people just get out of here, Pastor Rob. Oh, it hurt my cheek. That was my best cheek. <laughs> so Esau is a warlord who last Jacob heard, wants, he wants to kill Jacob. And Jacob is at this river, I think it's the Jordan, and he's just stressed out, panicked, like we would be. There's no police, there's no army, there's no UN, there's no nothing. It's like you either, it's, it's a really a dog-eat-dog world kind of time. And he knows that if Esau comes to kill him, he's toast. And so he's praying and he says, God, would you re- rescue me? You give me these promises. You promise to make a nation out of me. I need you. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Essentially, is what he's saying. And so he sends away his family and his friends and everybody else. He makes them cross the Jordan, and he's left all alone. And being left all alone, the scripture's really weird. It just says, and so Jacob was left all alone. And a man came and wrestled with him. Like, when does that happen? Just in the middle of the night, you're just sitting there. Oh, these are bad times. You're praying. When this ever, did, this, did this ever happen to anybody else? You're out in your prayer closet. Oh, God, make your kingdom come. Your will be done. And somebody's just like, bleh, bleh, and just headlock. And it's in the middle of the night. And this is the ancient, ancient Near East. Years and years ago, there's no street lights. There's no nothing. It's like if it were overcast, it would be pitch black. And so they're wrestling. Um, who's tiny? I need some. Oh, and come here. I just, I picked somebody bigger, but I do need to finish the message. Okay, so, so just grapple me a little bit. Grapple my arms. This is your time. They're like, they're, and they're fighting all night, and then Owen, like, lets go, and, and he gives me a punch. And I'm just, but then I'm good. But Jacob was actually really strong, so he's kind of like, and he's, you know, I can lift up well covers to impress babes. And so he's fighting them, and, you know, they're fighting. And then the sun, and their sun is coming up, and they've been wrestling all night. And, um, and so Owen sees he's got to go because he doesn't want Jacob to see that he's an angel or God or whatever it is. So before the sun comes up, he says, let go of me. I got to go. So go ahead. Let go of me. I got to go. And what he does to Jacob is he actually kicks him or touches him in the inner thigh in such a way. So give me a shot to the, to the inner thigh. <laughs> and, 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 he, and the angel hits or hurts Jacob in such a way that he never recovers. But he won't let go. So you're trying to get let go. So you're trying to go. And Jacob's like, Ugh. He's like, I won't let you go until you bless me. So you try to keep, keep, come on, work it with me, man. He's trying to get, bless me, bless me, bless me. And so you say, okay, you're blessed. Okay, very good. Thank you. So, and then the sun comes up and Jacob realized that was God. Was it an angel of God? Was it God himself? We don't totally know. But here's Jacob, the rest of his life. I wrestled God, and he blessed me. The rest of his life. And, and the scripture even says that the Israelites stopped eating this tendon in the leg of animals because it helped them remember that God touched Jacob's leg and gave him a limp forever. So here's Jacob. Well, then, and what happens next is that Esau's totally happy to see Jacob, and they bless each other, and it's totally fine. So here's Jacob. God, I need you. God shows up, gives him a permanent lip, and blesses him, and then heads off. So that's complicated. Amen? And that's what I'm trying to get across here. Your dad loves you. He can, he can heal. He can rescue. He can provide. He can change your mind. He can change your heart. But he's working out an eternal purpose in your life. So it's going to be complicated sometimes because he's working on your eternal glory. He's working your life in such a way that you will see and praise him forever in eternity. That's his biggest desire for you. Not just that you'd be happy every day. 
his, his idea of a good life isn't just one of those hats with the cans on it, you know, one can of pop on one side and a can of whipped cream on the other side, and just any time you want, it's like... <laughs> that's not his idea of a great life. He loves you too much. Well, I said we were going to pass this on to the kids, amen? I'll try to do this quickly. A father who loves you, who brings created order. A father who loves you and brings moral order. A father who loves you and sees the big plan for your life and is willing to sacrifice for it to happen. How do we bring this to the younger people, the littler people in our life? Well, number one is we can actually practically devote ourselves to bringing some created order. Uh, Do you ever come to church and walk over garbage? Yeah, like literally. Some people do. It's like, oh, there's a coffee cup down there. What would God do? That coffee cup doesn't belong there. It's empty. And it's Tim Hortons, for good sake. Get that thing in the garbage. (laughs) Sorry, I meant McDonald's. Sorry, I meant that stuff I make out of the Keurig. (laughs) We are called to be like God and bring order to things, including homes, including bedrooms, including bedtimes for kids. Justice, sorry, you're hearing both messages, so you're really getting the guns. This is part of what older people do. They help there be order for life in people's lives. No, don't eat that. That's your 13th Twinkie tonight. It's not going to feel good tonight or tomorrow morning, and I don't want to have to deal with it. That's bringing order to younger people, right? Um, and so, you know, it, it includes chore time. Can, can I plead with you to find the way to do chore time well? We've been working on our kids' theology a little bit. Um, we have one child who loves to clean. I don't know what we did. It was by grace. It was totally by grace. She once had money, and she bought herself a toilet brush because she loves to clean. I'm telling you, I, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. I didn't do it. Yeah, everybody like, <laughs> Anyhow, yes, you can come and play with your kids anytime you want. Um, the rest of them, not so much, right? And so we're talking to them. It's like, hey, you're, you're a believer and you're made in the image of God. It's, one of the things God does is he puts away his toys. He wants things to get cleaned up. He wants to teach you that... Things from your nose go into Kleenexes, not behind your bed. He wants to train all of that stuff. And that's a part of learning to bring order. It's really, it it seems too practical. It's like, we got to talk about that in church. If you read through the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, there is a part where God instructs the Israelites that when it's time to go to the bathroom, they're supposed to grab a shovel and head outside the the, the tent, outside the camp, and go do their do somewhere where it's out of sight, out of mind, under dirt. And so if God can talk about worship, including where you dig the latrine, then yes, we can talk about this stuff too. And it's amazing. Like when you see God invading the world, whether it's in creation, whether it's in the Old Testament, he shows up and he starts ordering things. He says, you live here, don't live here. You do this. We're going to do worship like this. This is how a heart works. And so part of calling on God to come with us, to come be with us is to bring order to our lives and it should express itself in how we take care of our homes. Now, if you're feeling guilty, let me just tell you who's sharing these ideas with you. Um, when I went to university for the second year, if you were in the first service, you're welcome to get just as grossed out this time. I, I had a bit of time on my hands the first week or two of school, and so I thought I'd make myself a really nice dinner. So I, I had this chicken, and I made like a chicken fajita mix or something like that. It was okay, if my memory serves me so. And, so, and I took that frying pan that I'd cooked chicken in, and I put it into my sink. And I washed it the day I went home for Christmas break. That's like two and a half months later. It just sat there. And the saddest thing, I mean, I look back and I'm like, that guy needed to get saved, which he did. And what I, I look back and it's like I lived off of about five utensils, a plate and a knife, which I used to make myself peanut butter and jam sandwiches for two or three meals a day. And then I also had a bowl for cereal or oatmeal and then a spoon for it. And then like one other thing, I think I had a Tupperware thing for moving that food around sometimes. And, and other than that, the problem was that I had like 30 dishes. And so except for those five things that I would just wash and use over and over again, all the other dishes just sat in my sink. 
So that's pretty bad, right? So, so just in case you're feeling like, Rob says I have to clean up, I feel terrible, like, just compare yourself to me and be excited and then go for it because it could be worse. You could be me as a 20-something-year-old. It's pretty sad, isn't it? But, but God started talking to me. He started talking to me. He said, you know, I would come home from school and university and say, I just realized I wasn't done work yet. Maybe I should go home and like make the bed or something like that because I'm just going to be sitting here for two hours before Jackie gets home. So I could, you know, do a dish or something like that. And it's part of becoming more Christ-like is to try to bring order to your life. And it's weird. It, it does change things. If you will put things away, if you'll put the garbage away, if you'll, wherever mama wants the shoes, put the shoes. Mama gets to choose where the shoes go in your house. This is one of the great things. Um, so I'm on a roll here. I saw some head nods, so I'm going to help you out here. In Titus, it says that um, older women are supposed to teach the younger women to be um, oiko despots, which, which means like house lord. Yeah. Exactly. So it's like, we're supposed to teach the ladies to be like, your laundry goes here, not there. You know, young guys always think, I know exactly where my laundry is. It's on the floor. That's where I always put it. And I know exactly where it is when I want it. It will be on the floor. I'm not sure which room it will be in, but it will be on the floor somewhere. And when I need to wear my pair of pants for the fourth time, I will go searching the floor for it. <laughs> so mama gets to say, that she goes in the basket, and it's these colors on that side and those colors on that side. And you put your, your shoes in the closet every time. Every time? Yes, every time in the closet. And I'm, well, I don't like putting it in the... Well, Mama's the oiko despot. There's somebody in your house that is kind of more attuned to tidying things up, and as long as they are gracious and loving, they should probably get listened to. Amen? Yes. Created order. That's part of, we help the kids learn to like and do created order so that they can be like God. Moral order. Okay? Kids need to learn um, that they have a sinful nature. You, it's not often obvious when a new baby's born. They're so tiny, and they've got these super wrinkly fingers that are so long, they look like little pianists every time. You know, they just like, ooh, they could just, nee, nee, nee. they could spread the entire octave each hand, and it never always, it doesn't always turn out like that. But they're so tiny, and they're so cute, and these little bundles of joy are also just teeming with sin, just waiting for the mental powers and muscular strengths in order to really get out there and do terrible things fact. And part of Christian parenting and part of Christian being older is to help kids see what's going on in their hearts. Asking them questions. This is a sin. This is how we deal with it. We confess. We look to Jesus. We apologize to people. This is a big part of it. And some of the really key things to be aware of for older people are um, issues of like respect and listening. Because a lot of the uh, rest of Christian life flows out of these things. I, I often try to remind myself, am I raising the kind of kid that will be a good worshiper for the Father? I just have them for a little bit. They're on loan, but they're going to be knowing God the rest of their life. Am I helping them learn how to know God? And so when I look at myself and it respect issues, I'm like, I think I'm like most guys where you can want respect just because you want respect and give me respect just because I like being respected. And I'm trying to teach myself that I'm not the issue. It really is about God. Okay? And so God says, honor your mom and your dad. And so the reason you, you should do that is because God said it. It isn't actually about me as much as I like or dislike that kind of stuff. It really is about helping little people learn to hear the word of God and to obey it and then to talk about heart issues that get in the way of that along the way. And listening is a big part of that. Um, we have a little jingle that we adopted. Godly obedience is cheerful and quick. Because it is. And... Uh, you know, your kids might be practicing for the Olympic sport of eye-rolling, but it shouldn't be something they do around you anytime. I can see my brain. <laughs> and also we need to be, be cautious about whining, okay? And, and again, I'm not saying go, go jump on your kids. We're shepherding them with the love that God has given to us because whining is, um, is like toddler terrorism. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like the children just know I am capable of a sonic attack anytime I want to. I can decibelize your ears and you will give me whatever I want. So this is like, can I have a cookie? I don't think so, sweetheart, but I want a cookie! 
that? I've got a microphone, so I'm going to stop it right there. But you know, you have been wind up before, and you're just kind of like, oh, do whatever you want. Here's my cat. Here's my dog. Here's the cookie. Just make it stop. And uh, the problem is, is that when we do that, what we're teaching people is that the next time you want something, you know exactly what you need to do in order to get it. Yes. See, right? So when the temper tantrum's happening in the Walmart, as somebody said before, the issue isn't whether or not somebody's getting the latest Batman Lego set. They're, they're fighting over everything else in the Walmart. Because if they can get mom or dad or grandma and grandpa to buy them what they want because they're melting down and whining about it, they can get anything, anything, including a weed whacker. I need that weed whacker. And buy the mixed gas. It's so hard to mix the gas. Shepherding heart issues. And when there's trouble, and there will always be trouble, there's no easy family, period. We're praying, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. Give me the creativity I need in the moment. Give me the soul I need to persevere and reveal everything in my kid's heart I need to see in order to love and shepherd them well. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You father them through me. That's the issue. Whether you're grandma or grandpa or teacher or EA, God, you impact them through me. Amen? And then finally, just to wrap up, and thanks for your patience. Handing on the knowledge of God's eternal purposes. Handing on knowing that God loves us even when everything's a mess because God's working on something. How do we do this? Well, we demonstrate trusting God when things aren't changing. That's how you do it. You say, my Bible teaches me that God's in control over every detail of life. And that if you're in Christ, he is working everything for good. So this is really painful, and it hurts, but by God's grace, I'm going to trust him, and why don't we pray? Bring it right back to where Jesus started us. I don't know what to do here, son, but I'm trusting God, and why don't we pray? Father, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Trusting him with the details. Father, I just thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you, Father, we've had a chance to laugh and learn together. Lord, my greatest desire is that the people of God in faith would take up this prayer. Father, you love me. Make your kingdom come. Make your will be done in every single area. Father, I pray that you'd help us to love your will. You know that as soon as things start getting scary or painful, we want to negotiate or run. And I pray, Lord, you'd give us just this sense of saying, God, you actually love me and you will help. You will help and teach us to be patient and to wait for you. And God, I pray that you'd show your love and your glory through putting things in order for us, wrestling with our hearts and putting our hearts where they need to be and knowing who you are as we trust in you. Amen.